Hello and welcome back to the Set Out Stronger podcast. As always, I'm Coach Jordan and today we are joined by the notorious Dr. Aaron Kubel. He is a chiropractor and uh, he's challenging a lot of, let's call it stigmas and uh, the preconceptions and myths within the chiropractic field. So today we talk about a lot of topics, but we dive into the history of chiropractic, uh, some of the things that evolved over time, what does a modern chiropractic care uh, clinician look like, and a ton more. This is a great one, a lot of good takeaways. So Let's get into it. How's it going, Aaron? Not too bad, Jordan. How about yourself? It's just lovely. So we've we've officially reached the point of notoriety because you're definitely the most uh, influencer status person that we've had on here. <laughs> oh, I checked in on the TikTok this morning. It was you're approaching like half a million people. I know it's really weird. It is insane. Uh, so my, there's my first question, what it's like to be, you know, an influencer, because you've got the <laughs> official I status now. <laughs> what a strange word. Uh, yeah, it's super weird. And it's not something I ever anticipated, especially not for chiropractic or, or my work. But um, did you know, there's, there's actual influencer insurance now too. No. I actually like when my, one of my buddies like set me up with it because um, like certain coverages for like business insurance and stuff like that won't protect you if you've got like your social media platforms have videos that have like over 8 million views or something like that. There's like, there's a cutoff um, because that's just too much of a liability with like, you know, people seeing your videos and doing dumb stuff or people seeing your videos and being offended and like coming after you. So I had to get like, it's literally called influencer insurance that is meant to cover you for things like having that many views or having a reach where you're like international or, having people from other countries seeing your stuff. So um, that was when I first sat down really, because I I used to like make fun of anybody who would have like influencer in their bio and stuff like that. I always thought it was like the cheesiest bullshit. And and then here I am getting influencer insurance. (laughs) Now the shoes on the other foot, I guess. It's a, it's a weird world, man. Weird world. Um, For those of you, who you know, aren't perusing around the, uh, the place that we call TikTok. Aaron is one of, you know, I, I refer to you and I've been referring to you in the, the Instagram world as like the evidence-based Cairo. And uh, he's been going out and just basically shattering people's perceptions of what chiropractic and back pain care is like. Um, so my first kind of round of questions is what is chiropractic anyways? Like, how did this all start? Oh, man. Uh... I've heard some weird stories. Honestly, some days I don't even know what it is, uh, to be completely frank. Um, it, it started with a dude from Iowa who, like, I don't know. I, I, don't know, I won't get the specifics of the story, of the initial story, right? But it's about 100 years old and a guy, like, cracked a neck and allegedly, like, cured someone's deafness or something. And yeah. his whole idea was that every human problem originates from the spine and obviously that was all crazy and every medical profession started off with some crazy idea that wasn't actually True. terribly accurate, but, um, progressed since then. And what is it now? I guess I'm still not totally sure. Um, I, I always say we're conservative musculoskeletal therapists, just meaning that we use non-invasive, non-pharmaceutical, non-surgical means of, trying to help people 
deal with pain and manage their behaviors in a way that's conducive to recovering from different pain complaints and living life the way they want to. That's how I communicate it. Uh, I don't think most in our profession would say it the same way. And and what's frustrating about chiropractic, it's kind of like, what's that? Um, the Forrest Gump line, uh, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That's chiropractic, the spectrum of, um, what type of experience you can have just walking into a random chiropractic office is so vast and different. I mean, it can be anywhere from what I just described a conservative musculoskeletal therapist to literally more something resembling more of like a religion. It's truly a vast, strange, diverse um, range. And it's honestly, so it's so up to chance at this point. And there's so much weird and not necessarily positive variety within chiropractic that I can't even really just blindly recommend to like friends or family that they even see a chiropractor, which is a weird feeling within your own profession. Like if someone reaches out to you like, Hey man, I know you became a chiropractor. I just wanted to tell you because I thought you'd think it's cool. Like I'm seeing one now. Like it'd be nice to be able to have my knee action be like, yeah, that's great, man. It's awesome. My knee jerk reaction is okay. Well, please send me the name of that office let me look them up and background check them. Um, I'm not sure if I'm totally comfortable with you being in that position. So it's a very wide sweeping range of, of different types of people who are working with people in pain. And I guess I don't really know fully what chiropractic, what chiropractic actually is. To be we're at the, uh, so strange. Yeah. We're at the low point in the Dunning-Kruger effect curve. We're just like, yeah, we think we, oh, no, no, no clue anymore. Yeah, I have no idea. So I I saw one of your posts a couple, maybe a week or two ago now, and you posted about your old notes, I guess it was your your iPhone. And I thought that was really cool. Um, And if anybody didn't see it, uh, well, you you can explain it, but I thought it was a very interesting way of seeing where you started and where you came from. So maybe that would just help people because I think a lot of our our listeners are going to be thinking, okay, we'll just chiropractor that's you know they crack the back and they do some maybe massage and distraction stuff and that's it so it may be yeah. interesting to hear your story and how you started there and sure and that that i mean i set that up and and revealed and talked about stuff in that video that was all very surface level because i like wanted it to gain traction so sure. i didn't go into the fun parts of like the whole character arc of my shift in career perspective, but it's, it's like, it's as big of a shift I think as anyone could have basically to try and keep it short. Um, I grew up, I did not know what chiropractic was. Um, I grew up going to one because we just got connected with them through family friends. And the guy who I saw growing up was great. Like he, uh, no BS, no weird nonsense. Like he'll, crack crack your back, crack your joints, rub muscles, all that stuff. But also a lot of what he did for me was like rehab and then just giving good sound advice. Cause I grew up playing um, baseball, football, hockey. So like a lot of what he did for me was just talking me through like, Hey, you know, you strained your hamstring. Uh, It's probably going to feel like crap, but you're going to have it the whole football season. So you just manage it and be smart and do this, this, and this. And like, to me, what he was doing seemed really cool. It was just a lot of good advice, a little bit of hands-on here and there, maybe give some exercise when necessary. But, um, and I had never seen a physical therapist either. So I, when I saw what he was doing, it wasn't like, oh, this seems like PT. It was, oh, this just seems like 
a helpful way for people with muscle and joint pain issues to be cared for. So that was what my perception, my perception of chiropractic was. I was like, whatever this guy does, this is chiropractic because he's a chiropractor and I feel like I want to do the same thing. So me being wildly ignorant, I did not look any deeper into it than that. I was like, you know what, Uh, maybe I'll just do this. So um, I got done with undergrad, went into chiropractic school and cause we have one just like right down the road before I grew up. So nice. I was so convenient. I was like, oh, this is perfect. I went in there and it was not what I thought it was. Um, <laughs> turns out he was a bit of an outlier in how he practiced. And I started seeing some of the weird side of it. Um, some of the more kind of religion-y side of it, which is like, innate intelligence. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Concept. That one's new to me. Innate intelligence is like the whole premise of what chiropractic was built on. And it's the idea that um, it's basically the idea that like the, the power of human potential, it sounds so weird saying every time but this is true. The power of like human potential is believed by chiropractors to be like housed within the spine. And oh, wow. people have health problems. It's because something is creating nerve interference, which is where something, which they've never really been able to describe what this something is, but something is interfering with that human potential's ability to be expressed through the nervous system out into the body. And so, and that's what a chiropractic subluxation is, which is again, an entity that is up to this point, still a myth. Um, so basically the crux of the profession is that we remove this nerve interference to maximize human potential. I've found all this out within the first like month, month and a half of Cairo school. And I was like, what the F is going on here? And how have I seen a chiropractor for almost my whole life and never heard any of this before? Um, so I really started freaking out there, but I tried to buy into it. Like I tried to commit myself to it. So Um, like I, in my first few months of school, really tried to get good at like different types of spinal manipulation, really tried to get good at different types of hands-on therapy. Um, and like tried to buy into some of the big claims that chiropractors make, like that there are joint restrictions in your body that we physically remove and that, um, you know, spinal manipulation can have all of these like crazy exciting effects and be a, like, I once told a guy in our student clinic that I could lower his chronic hypertension or his chronically high blood pressure by cracking his back. Yeah. Like that's how much I tried to lean in, which obviously if you see my videos, it is quite wildly different from how I speak now about things. Um, but yeah, I, I really tried to lean in and then um, me just being somebody who doesn't want to be like super wrong all the time, as much as I was leaning in, I was also like background checking it and seeing what I could find in actual like medical journals and reading as much as I could about the things that I was about to be telling people and the claims I was about to be making. And every time I would look deeper into some of the stuff I was saying, or some of the things I was being taught in class, I would come out wildly disappointed and I'd be like, wow, I just told three people that. And, um, all of this says there's no evidence to support it and that it's not true. And I just, that just kept happening over and over. And then finally halfway through school at this like tipping point where I was like, Oh my God, I'm pretty sure nothing we're learning in school right now is right. Like, this is crazy. And I would keep bringing it to my professors 
And they would either be like, yeah, we know, because there were some like woke professors in there who would keep up with research themselves. And then, or they would be like, oh yeah, but research is, you know, biased and it's big pharma. And it's like, and I'm like, oh my, it's like a cult in here. It's crazy. Yeah. So never question it. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, what did you say? You Sorry, I said, I said never question it, right? Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, so anyway, tipping point there, started freaking out, thought about dropping out. Um, and then one of my professors, who I told that I was probably going to drop out by the end of the week and go look into either medical school or just something completely different, um, he pulled me aside and basically pointed out some of the rehab type stuff to me, gave me some good resources to go look up and say, Hey, like you could do this with the chiropractic license. I just, it would be a shame for you to drop out at the halfway point and waste, you know, a year and a half to two years worth of education um, and drop out and, and kind of blow all that. So I looked into everything he sent, really liked what I saw. I like the idea of self-management, which is pretty much the whole crux of my current practice. So that was when I was convinced that I could maybe make a career for myself within Cairo and be okay with it. Um, and then from that point on, it was pretty much gung ho reading as much as I could learning as much about rehab as I possibly could learning as much about pain management and all of those things as I could. And, um, kind of just went down that rabbit hole and still haven't come out until now, but that has involved a lot of unlearning of the stuff I took on over those two years, trying to convince myself that I was cool with what was going on. And, and with that came a lot of like the debunking stuff type videos when, which is a lot of like what my platform ended up being. And, um, and now to, to put the bow on the whole story, like I went from being somebody who really tried to buy into joint manipulation and all the other Cairo stuff to somebody who I graduated um, in November of last year. So coming up on one full year now, I still have not cracked a back professionally, uh, in my practice. Cause I have an online only practice now as a chiropractor, which nice. is always really weird for people to hear. Cause they're <clears> like, how can that even be a thing? But yeah, yeah. I have, so that's, that's the full arc. Now I'm somebody who only treats patients via video call on the computer, um, as a Cairo, which is weird. And I make videos that seem like I'm like trying to tear down my whole profession, which aspects of that is true. So, um, yeah, it's quite the swing of the pendulum. Yeah. How, like, I'm sure that you made friends and peers, um, <laughs> within the school system, even just like, you know, hanging out with people. Yeah. Um, how do they feel based on like what you're doing or do you even see any of that? Anymore? Um, I had, so I obviously initially in Cairo school, I had a lot of friends, um, not a lot, but like I was buddy, buddy with pretty much everybody in the class. And then as I started shifting and learning and changing my perspective on things and not liking a lot of the stuff that just started dropping off, like people would get more and more. Fun. I mean, I, cause I would raise my hand in class and straight oh, up yeah. call out the teacher and be like, yo, what did you just say? And like, I would start debates in class. I would straight up, like after somebody made a point in lecture, be like, yeah, that, these three articles that I have right here said that's straight up nonsense. Um, and I was pretty forward and aggressive about it. So I came out of Cairo school with probably like two or three people who were like still friends with me by the end of it. But thank goodness for social media. Yeah. Um, 
after kind of shifting and becoming more outspoken there, I did find a lot of chiropractors just across the globe who think the way that I do. And you'd actually be stunned to see how many chiropractors are out there who are exactly like me Mm -hmm. and say the things that I say. And I would like, and they're great clinicians. I'd gladly um, be honored to have a family member, you know, be taken care of by one of these chiros who, who follows the clinical practice guidelines and actually has a respect for research. So um, yeah, definitely was tough going through school and losing friends in that sense, but you do find another community, obviously the more outspoken you become and, and within physical therapy too. I mean, I've been really taken in by a lot of PTs um, and I've spoken on a lot of large physical therapy platforms and gotten to do a lot of teaching stuff for physical therapists and it's been nice seeing that because they don't look at it as like a competition, no. like, Oh, now chiropractors are trying to take over what we were supposed to be good at. They look at it as, Oh, good. Like some parts of that kind of kooky profession are just trying to do a good job. Like we should accept that with open arms and say, you know, encourage more and more of that. So um, you find colleagues elsewhere, just the yeah. more outspoken. Yet. Well, I feel like a lot of the PTs that are, not attached to the passive modality stuff are the more accepting anyways. And they don't really care who you are. Like I, I know a lot of physios and chiros that are in my network that we just, we just call each other clinicians. Yeah. It's like, I'm a coach. I'm not a, I'm not a PT or a chiro or anything, but the people that tend to be a bit more evidence-based tend to be. Well, they just much want to do a judging. good job. So, yeah, you know, exactly. once that's what your main focus is, is just trying to promote good ethical science-based practices. Like, Every, once you've reached that point in your career, you're looking pretty far past, Titles. you know, degrees and labels and you just want care to not be, because then you become hyper aware of how bad musculoskeletal healthcare is and you yeah. just want it to be a little bit better. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice once you get to that point, cause nobody gives a shit anymore about yeah. what your degree is. Totally. Um, that was really great, really insightful stuff there. I, if it's okay with you, I want to take the clinician hat off for a sec and go with the myth busting hat. If that's cool. Um, Cause you're good at it and uh, people need to hear about it. So sure. let's talk backy cracky. <laughs> Cause I know if I'm going to have people on here that is, are going to say you had a chiropractor on here that talks about this stuff and didn't talk about it. So we have to. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about the idea of, you know, you have, this energy or whatever it is within your spine that needs to be released or potential, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So yeah. for those of, for those people at home that don't have just exposure to this, what is a subluxation? So in the medical sense, a subluxation is a thing. In the yeah. medical sense, it's a partial dislocation of a joint. That's real. That happens. Mm-hmm. In the chiro world, it's a vertebral subluxation. Basically, the proposition is that you can have these very small millimeter misalignments in your spine that can cause the way traditional chiropractic used to set it up. But there are still chiros out there who believe this, um, these misalignments in the spine that don't happen. Um, they believe that they could cause pretty much any health problem that occurs in humans, even if it's, you know, heart disease and cancer and all these other things can be caused by these misalignments. But, um, it's just like the first day I remember learning about that, it was like, if it was so easy to 
have your spine become misaligned. And then, because their proposition is that if it becomes misaligned like that, um, that they can, all they have to do is push on it with their bare hands on your back and they can realign it. Like that's the proposition. And I just remember hearing that and being like, if that were true, look at NFL players. They hit each other full speed, especially on kickoff. Like these people are killing each other. That would not be able to be a sport if it was that easy to misalign your spine and mess up your spinal alignment. If all it takes is just pushing with your hands to crack it back in. I was like, Oh my God, how many vertebral subluxations and I'm air quoting hard there. How many vertebral subluxations have I caused just hugging people? That's what I was going to say. I was going to say a big bear hug. It's ridiculous. So um, yeah, it's, Subluxation is a real medical thing. Once they start talking about them occurring in your spine, that's a good red flag to get out of that office and not see that chiropractor, especially when they start trying to use that spinal misalignment model and explaining it for non-musculoskeletal conditions. If any chiropractor is talking to you about treating or improving a non-muscle and joint pain type condition, that's a red flag. We have no evidence to support anything that doesn't have to do with pain and muscle and joint type stuff. So um, just yeah. for some specificity there for anybody that's wondering or has been exposed to this, I've heard things on infertility. I've heard yeah. things on COVID-19 um, uh, <laughs> yeah. reduction. It's it just weird stuff. Autism, asthma. Yeah. I mean, like, like all of it, it's anything and everything you can imagine pretty much. Yeah. So there's some red flags take away. Um, okay. Yep. So from a practical sense, somebody walks in and maybe they go to an, like an evidence-based Cairo, as we would say, and they get a back cracky and yep. uh, they feel better. What, what would you say to that? I would say, so it really depends on the case and what the person's coming in with. The, the truth is most acute musculoskeletal pain complaints. So acute meaning, like they just happened recently. It's not like a chronic issue, but um, something that's new and recent. Most acute musculoskeletal aches and pains and even injuries are, they resolve themselves over time. Um, so like we'll say with just nonspecific back pain, right? Like that acute episode of nonspecific back pain has a typical natural history of four to six weeks, meaning it tends to get better within four to six weeks even if we don't do anything. Right. And so what, what can happen with back cracking spinal manipulation or any other like hands-on therapy where we're like just doing something to you, what can happen in a lot of chiropractic and physical therapy offices is, you know, somebody gets an episode of acute back pain. They're usually not going in right away. Like usually people are like, you know, give this a week or two, let it work itself out. Cause that's how a lot of people are. And the distress level is not usually terribly high. So they give it a couple of weeks and it's not better yet. And then on that, you know, going into that third week, they book an appointment with say the chiropractor and they go in for an assessment. They get assessed. The chiro says, yep, you got this, this, this come in, we'll crack your back, whatever. We'll do treatment. Um, and then, so by the end of the third week, they have that first appointment where they're getting actually treated now. Right. Um, so then they go in, get their back cracked, might give you some short-term relief. It's not going to fix or cure anything, but maybe you get a little bit of relief. Maybe you don't. Um, and now you're rolling into that fourth week for a follow-up appointment. 
and you go back in and they crack you again, get a little bit of relief. And then they say, okay, we'll see you next week. And now you're on week five total of this stretch of this acute back pain episode. And like I said, most of those resolve themselves, even if you don't seek any amount of care at all within four to six weeks. And that can mean just two weeks, right? So it's a, just, just within that time frame. So you're at the end game there. Even, and you just had your back crack twice, you're probably, you were probably on your way out of this thing by the time you had that first consultation with the Cairo and the onset of week three or whatever. Um, and you just weren't aware of that because a lot of people don't know how self-limiting, how self-limiting a lot of these conditions are. Um, so it can appear that the Cairo fixed you or that whatever they did treatment wise fixed your back or fixed whatever problem he said you had when really five weeks went by since the onset and you just got better because you were going to get better. Um, so a lot of the times timing is really uh, something that we have to pay attention to when we're trying to figure out, you know, was it my intervention that got this person better or did they just get better because they're going to. And it's really wild when you look at these graphs on natural history of a variety of conditions Cause they'll show like, you know, X amount of different treatments. Like they'll compare back cracking and exercise and tissue massage and like a scraping technique and like needling and then like, um, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or then no an inert treatment, like nothing. And all of them will follow this same trajectory and you'll see all of the lines flow together all over with the same course of progression and resolution no matter what was done treatment wise and everything got better at the same time, including no treatment. And you just have to look at that and say, okay, like, is it really our treatments that are giving people these miracle um, recoveries or is it just a matter of people just get better because they're going to, in a lot of cases that see chiropractors. Um, so the relief can be real. Like you can get relief, short-term relief from things like spinal manipulation but the ultimate resolution is never because they fixed you or realigned you or freed up a restricted joints because of natural history. But, um, and then lastly, just to finish that, the short-term relief thing, that's kind of a byproduct of kind of two probably leading mechanisms. And that would be one of them. I think the big stupid word we use is like neuromodulation is basically like if I bump my elbow on this table, and it hurts. And then I rub it and it feels a little bit better. Like everybody knows that everybody does that. Um, that's kind of the same effect that somebody has when they put their hands on your sore back and push. It's just a new stimulus that just feels a little bit different than the pain you were feeling. So that's, it's like, your, it's like if your neighbor had a house party and they got the music cranked up, but you want to go to bed. So you put in earphones of your own and turn those up. It's like, you're trying to cancel two things out. So that's one way people Ooh, that's get a cool one. that's coupled with um, exp expectations and just kind of the theater around the visit. So if you're somebody who really believes strongly in chiropractic and you're in a Cairo office and the Cairo really hypes up the treatment, how the way it makes you expect that you're going to feel a lot better, that has an influence too on, on pain and sensitivity. So that kind of summarizes a lot of the benefit that is perceived with back cracking. Yeah. Love it. I, I'll never forget. I don't know how familiar with uh, Adam Meekins, but he's got oh, his neuromodulation video. Oh my God. If you guys ever want to laugh, just Google Adam Meekins neuromodulation. It's 
it's always worth a chuckle. He's the best. He's helped me out with a lot of, I mean, cause me being like the snarky, like hot take edgy MythBuster guy in Cairo. Mm-hmm. Um, he is very, very much that and probably the most well-known for doing that in physical therapy. So yeah. he has been a huge help to me as, as far as being supportive. Adam's the best. Yeah. No, he's hilarious. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on that just kind of curtails on what you were saying there is the dependency factor, because a lot of times, you know, after the five, six weeks, you get a couple of adjustments. And then the conversation with the Cairo is, okay, now what I need you to do is come in at least once every two weeks for a adjustment to make sure this doesn't happen again. And for those of you on just audio, Aaron's soul just evaporated a little bit at that thought. Yeah, it's, that's a big issue. Um, and it's, it's kind of nuanced, but like I, when I, when I went through my internship, like that was what always killed me because we would always have people convinced that they needed to continue seeking care when they really did not need to be coming in to see any type of healthcare provider for what they're dealing with. And like, I would always be sitting there talking to patients, be like, all right, what can I do for you today? And they're like, oh, I just need a tune up. And I was like, a tune up. The hell do you mean a tune-up? Like you're not a car. This isn't a auto just change oil. Get in there, you know. And they're like, you know, I, I get cracked. I get, you know, stay. On, I want to. St-. They would say, I want to stay ahead of it, mm-hmm. as if getting your back cracked can prevent anything, right? Uh, and I'm literally just looking at, like, looking around the room, like, if you guys really believe back cracking has any preventative effect at all, which it absolutely does not. Um, just go hug your mom like once a day and get her to squeeze a little harder and crunch you. Like that's. Why would what I'm doing to you be any different than that? It's not. Um, yeah, but the the whole dependency thing, I don't think we make people addicted to backcracking. That's a common narrative that people on my side of the fence will push is that like, oh, it builds dependency on the clinician um, and makes patients feel like the only way for them to be better um, is if they go in and get treatment all the time from the clinician. I don't think that that happens quite as often as we say that it does, although it does occur. Um, but I think what does happen is that the narratives that are used to justify a treatment is a lot of what influences buying behavior um, and what makes people, you know, seek certain types of care. Like you're not going to go get a certain treatment if you are not told that it's going to have the effect that you want it to have. So when we tell people, uh, for example, like, when we tell people that it can prevent you from getting a hunchback or can fix your posture or that your spine is going to get out of alignment, if we don't consistently keep it in alignment, if that's the narrative and that's what you have people believing, that's going to influence them to seek more care from you because they think if they don't, they're going to, their spine's going to be a, a Jenga tower that's just falling apart. Um, so yeah, they're, I don't think our treatments are so addictive and powerful that they create dependency, but I think our narratives sometimes are fear mongering enough and compelling enough that patients become convinced they need what we're doing when they really, really don't. And that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. I think the narrative thing is huge because that's what I hear, um, especially within the volleyball community. It's, Oh, no, my posture is really bad. I'm hunched over at my work and I need to go and, you know, go to the car and get me fixed up. Or I need yeah. to fix this I'm muscle cut in right there and just say, because I take the opportunity to say this on every interview I do, please stop caring about posture. You can care about it for performance. There's aspects of volleyball that maybe can benefit from like being in more advantageous positions, but that's a different conversation from pain and injury where that's just performance. Posture matters for performance in a lot of instances. 
when it comes to pain, injury, injury prevention, recovery from pain, anything pain-wise, it doesn't matter. Posture does not matter. Please don't worry about your posture. Sit however you want, sit comfortably, be relaxed, be a normal human. Don't be a rigid robot looking like someone programmed you for the day. Like that's unnecessary. And it's part of the reason it's such a strong myth is because us and physical therapy and even medical doctors too have just been peddling it like crazy forever. So yeah, posture, I don't care about posture. So I care about posture, but I want people to not care about posture. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Things that you shouldn't be worried about. Uh, text neck. Oh God. Bad posture at work in your office chair. No, no, no. Uh, some slouching. No, I'm slouching right now. I've been slouching. Yeah, me too. I woke up. Every time we say posture, I just naturally go like this. Cause I can hear my mom. My yeah, everybody. Everybody. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People shouldn't be worried about that. Text neck. I mean, every paper I've read on text neck has beat it to death saying that it's not a thing. I mean, where was newspaper neck? Were people saying that? Or how about, you know, caveman sitting in front of the fire neck? Like they had a perfect posture. Come on. Our heads have been, you know, a little bit forward looking down at stuff since humans have existed. And yet here we are with, so I like the, I always hated seeing people being told to hold their cell phones up to their face and like make it look like they're recording like the room around them when really they're just reading because yeah. their Cairo told them, oh, you'll jack up your neck if you look down at it. It's, it's, yeah. absurd. it's absurd. And it, it might be just worth taking like 10 seconds here. So from what I, what I understand, the narrative is if your head is forward, you've got this moment arm on your neck that's unnecessary because your head's so heavy because we're so smart with such big heavy brains. Ball, right? yeah. I've been ball. And that over time, that chronic load on your neck is going to be bad things. Yeah, it's like claimed to cause degeneration and disc bulges and whatever else. It's absurd. I mean, we, you, your body's not that stupid. Like you adapt to that. You've had a head that's this proportionately size of your body your entire life. In fact, when you're a baby, it's more out of proportion and yeah. that you're totally fine. I mean, we, our necks have adapted to have a head on their shoulders. You've been this way your whole life having it a few degrees forward is not going to be what causes problems in anyone's spine. It's insanity. So, yeah. There's the nice bow on that. Very cool. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, I've got like a, a, a bunch of things that we could dive into, but I think one of the, the biggest things, and we touched on it at the beginning is if somebody's looking for a clinician, whether it's a chiro, a physio, a doctor, what, what kind of guidelines would you give them um, as a, a filter to say, Hey, you should be looking for this. If they're talking about this, maybe you should find somebody else. Um, we can kind of go down that rabbit hole a bit. First of all, choosing wisely.org is a great patient facing resource. And it always just gives like, and they, there's one for the general practitioner. There's one for the Cairo. There's one for physical therapy. They have a branch of each in choosing wisely. And it's, um, it's meant to basically help patients identify what an evidence-based clinician looks like. So they know what to look for. And they also give lists of like red flags to say, Hey, like if they're doing this, then you're not receiving guideline-based care. Um, but to put it really shortly, if you're seeing a PT at Cairo, it should be somebody who is encouraging self-management because most musculoskeletal aches and pains can be self-managed if you're just educated enough on the topic and you know what to do. So they should be, teaching you, they should be acting more like a guide or a coach rather than 
um, a clinician who's quote unquote fixing you. They should be guiding you through managing your own conditions and giving you the skill set to take care of yourself. I mean, I think I really do think the best way to approach my job uh, or any physical therapist or chiro's job is to literally try to make yourself obsolete by giving the patients enough tools to kind of take care of their problems on their own. Because the truth is the most evidence-based and cost-effective way of managing musculoskeletal conditions is to help patients self-manage their own conditions. So if it's somebody who's, you know, really hammering a lot of passive care, they're not giving you any advice or strategies to take care of yourself. And they're really focused on fixing something. There's always this narrative. If you're always hearing this narrative about, oh, we got to, we need to fix your posture, fix your movement pattern, fix your imbalance, fix your dysfunction, fix, fix, fix. Whenever we're talking about that a lot, that's a big red flag too. Love it. It's funny because I give some, I give similar recommendations for people that are looking for a coach. Mm-hmm. If, if you're looking for a coach and they're saying, yeah, we need to fix this. You need to come see me. You need yeah. to make sure that we're doing this perfectly. It's like, those yeah. are big red flags. No, that's, I think that's a great comp. And like, I always say coaches and clinicians should be a lot more closely intertwined because we're really, really similar in what we're actually trying to do, whether it's pain or performance um, and both, and there should be more overlap. I mean, I always looked at it from a baseball perspective because I was what I got into in college. Um, I always thought it'd be better to have a coach who instead of cookie cuttering every player and making every player swing the bat the exact same way and, oh, we got to fix your swing. It needs to look like this, like this is the right way to do it. Instead of doing that, helping them figure out their own way of what's the best way for them to move and swing the bat and embrace their own qualities rather than saying, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is dysfunctional, suboptimal, whatever we need to fix this, this, and this let people self-organize, let people find what works best for them. Cause there is so much individual nuance between athletes. You shouldn't be putting people into these boxes that really don't even exist. So yeah, there's tons of overlap, I think between what I do and what a coach does. Yeah. The, the typical example that I go to is the Usain Bolt for sprinting, right? He has this kind of mm-hmm. weird sprint mechanic that only works for him mm-hmm. because he's adapted to it and, you know, proportions and all that kind of stuff. And if we went in and tried to change him and go towards typical model, he'd probably run. He'd slower. Probably make suck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, that, and then he's a great example too. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure like in volleyball, you probably hear all the time to keep players out of dynamic knee valgus or like yeah. knocked knee positions. Cause they think it's going to tear the ACL when really, that's not quite such the dangerous position that it's made out to be in. If you just watch any sport, you see the best athletes in the world come in and out of those positions, um, you know, all the time and, and controlled environments and context. So like, is that really to be feared? I mean, I'm watching Usain Bolt, you know, sprint down the track with his knees coming in and crossing over all over the place. I don't think it's necessarily um, suboptimal quite the way that we, we make it out to be. Yeah. And then the other scary one that we get is um, lumbar flexion. So just lower back rounding for those of you that aren't as anatomically inclined. I don't know how you could play volleyball and avoid lumbar flexion. Like even even if it really was a problem, like even if lumbar flexion truly was to be feared the way that we make it sound like, which is not by the way, obviously I'm sure your listeners are aware of that, but um, if, if it, even if it was the problem we make it sound like, you just couldn't play volleyball anymore because how are you supposed to go down and get a ball? How are you supposed to dive? How are you supposed, I mean, 
you literally can't play if you can't flex your spine. So you definitely can't jump. Yeah, no. Yeah. And generate force upward vertically. It's impossible. So, um, the idea that it's something to be avoided, like even if that did matter, which it doesn't, it's a pipe dream. You're never going to make that happen. It's impossible. Well, this is the the interesting thing with the, the dysfunction this dysfunctional argument. I can't even say it. Say I don't say it enough. Well, um, you don't need to. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's that if something is body weight. So, say you just bend over and do a dead bug, or yeah, uh, a dead bug, or like a cat cow or something that you go into flexion mm-hmm. with. That's fine because it's unloaded. But if mm-hmm. we add a five pound weight to it and do a Jefferson curl, your back's going to explode for some reason. And it's just it's very strange from a training perspective to see these discrepancies. No, it's, I mean, it's just, and it's so easy to point to instances where people flex the hell out of their spine with heavy, heavy load and they don't, their back doesn't explode. Like, have you ever seen an NFL running back? And I'm just thinking about this because I literally just watched it last night and paused the TV screen to point out to my neighbors who don't care about this issue. (laughs) They're like, look at how flexed their spine is. And they're like, please unpause the game. Um, Have you ever seen an NFL running back truck a defender the way they get down? Oh, yeah. They're way out of neutral. Their spine's totally rounded and they're in a full sprint with somebody else, another force that weighs 220 pounds, trying to destroy them coming at them in that direction and literally just going straight into the tops of their shoulders and putting that axial, nearly axial compression on their spine and they're bent and flex and they truck and power through them and then keep sprinting. Like it's, I mean, that's an insane amount of force. That's way more force than what anybody is experiencing with a barbell. And then even if you want to just go into the barbell, like you see competitive power lifters and people deadlifting, they flex the hell out of their spine, the best in the world do it. And then if you've ever watched Atlas stone throwers, I was just going to say strong, you literally can't do it without going into like the beetle bug position and then coming out of it. It's just, it's insane. I don't, it's absurd. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah. All right. I think that's plenty for our users to digest users. God, listeners to digest. Um, Aaron, this has been fantastic. Um, for those again, that are not TikTok, TikTokly inclined, where can people find you and, uh, your information? Yeah. Um, uh, so obviously TikTok and then all my handles across platforms are, are the same. It's, uh, Aaron underscore Kubal DC. Um, on Twitter and Instagram as well. I actually prefer people find me on those because I can be a lot more nuanced on those. Uh, Instagram, I go through great depth with my captions to try and give people um, more than what a 60 second video can offer. So I think the info is good there. And then people really care about um, research and pain and injury and all that fun stuff. Um, Follow me on Twitter because that's where like, that's where I get most of my research from because authors and people who put studies together and PhD researchers, they're extremely active on there. Um, so I share like a lot of their posts and their findings and those things like on my Twitter account. So that's a great place to look to. Otherwise, if people need to get in touch, ask questions, uh, my email is aaronkubaldc at gmail.com. And then I do have a website that I haven't updated since I made. Um, that's where my online clinic is. That's linked in all my social media bio. So awesome. Yeah. Lots of ways to reach me. Perfect. It's it's a it's a funny world. Like if you told people twenty years ago that a lot of researchers are going to be talking the most on Twitter, oh my god, they'd just go crazy, right? 
I tell people, cause like continuing education is a big topic in physical therapy and Cairo mm-hmm. and people pay hundreds to go to these courses and learn these little skills. And I always tell people the best continuing education in the world is completely free and it's on Twitter because you literally just sit there and you watch researchers have conversations about their papers right in front of you. Yeah. Um, you can see like what's what pretty quickly. So that's definitely one of the best places to learn. Awesome. All right. Well, if you made it this far, congratulations. Um, we always have conversations going on in the Facebook group. Uh, maybe we can get Aaron on there if he's feeling sure. really cool. And sure. uh, you can ask questions there and we'll, uh, we'll get some good topics going. All right, Aaron, this has been fantastic. Uh, really appreciate you coming on, taking time away from your busy schedule and uh, helping us out. Right on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Take care.